Welcome to Get Up in the Cool, old-time music with Cameron DeWitt and friends. This week's friend is Harry Bullock. We recorded this last June at the Brandywine Revival. This episode is brought to you by the Earful of Fiddle Music and Dance Camp. Earful of Fiddle is an immersive lakeside music and dance camp in Rodney, Michigan, whose mission is the use of traditional music and dance as community-building entertainment, fostering creative arts practice. Now, in its 11th year, Earful of Fiddle provides instruction in percussive dance, song, fiddle, guitar, banjo, mandolin, cello, and uke, as well as informal music sessions and evening dances from June 23rd through the 28th, 2019. This year's instructors include Ruby John, Bruce Bauman, Jake Blunt, Michael Ling, Nick Garris, and Danielle Enblom. Also, I'm going to be there recording live Get Up in the Cool episodes. So, come hang out. It's going to be great. To register, visit earfulofiddle.com or follow the link in the show notes in your podcast app or this episode's Facebook post. I also want to thank Elderly Instruments in Lansing, Michigan for sharing Get Up in the Cool online with their customers and increasing the reach of the show. Next time you need an instrument upgrade or new music gear, visit their online store at elderly.com. If you live anywhere between D.C. and Portland, Maine, check my tour schedule on Facebook to see if Jake Blunt and I are coming your way in April. RSVP, bring your friends. There are links in this episode's show notes. You can find those on whatever app you're using to listen to this. Stick around afterwards and I'll tell you how to get a hold of Harry's newest album. Also, I dropped in the teaser track at the very end. Here's my interview and jam with Harry Bullock. Enjoy. Bullock to get up in the cool. So nice to be in your living room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're at the Brandywine Revival. 
2018. I think this is like the fourth or fifth one. I don't remember. <laughs> I uh, lost more track. than that, I think. I've, I didn't get to all of them, and I think I've been to four. So yeah, maybe six. I don't maybe know. Maybe six. Yeah. We'll have to interview Claire next. Yeah. One of these days. Yeah, yeah. One of these days, I'll read Walt's book and then have him on to talk about it. Well, this is not the festival to interview the man. No. (laughs) They are working. Bless them. I asked them once, and they're like, are you kidding me? (laughs) You see how... I know it looks like I'm having a good time. Oh, man. She's too busy taking care of everybody, getting in and out of that gorilla suit. Yeah. (laughs) That's a very important part. (laughs) Last year, it was. Yeah. Uh, Getting totally schwacy in the competition. Oh, yeah. Uh, (laughs) They said you can't bribe the judges this year. What? Yeah, it said so in the rules. Of course, they're only rules. Right. Isn't that <laughs> interesting? For those that don't know, the, the uh, contest here has always been freeform. The judges, um, in order to properly appreciate the music, roll around in a golf cart, drink liberally, and uh, hear the audition the bands in their own campsites. And um, donations to the judges have been encouraged. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which has been a hazard to navigation. Yeah. <laughs> what did we just play? We played a tune uh, called Mississippi Hills. And to put that in context, I need to talk for a minute. Bear with me. Yeah. Uh, so as you know, because you interviewed me before, I've been, oh, for pushing 10 years now, I've been researching Mississippi fiddle tunes. And you'd think it was all known and done, particularly for a tradition that pretty much died out in the 80s and is in revival now. But I've been incredibly fortunate digging around, <clears throat> finding relatives, um, kids and grandkids mostly, of the players from the 30, 20s, 30s, and up into the 80s. And I've, they've been gracious and shared photographs and stories, and in some case, recordings. So I'm still doing this uh, urban archaeology bit, or mm. semi-urban archaeology bit, of trying to track down every last known Mississippi fiddle tune. So in 2015, Steve Austin and I published a book um, which was all about the tunes that were collected in the 30s by the WPA. And I think we spoke about it last time. And that was the first step in the, in the master plan for worldwide cultural domination yeah. by Mississippi fiddle tunes. <laughs> I'm well under my way working on the second book, which will be the second and final volume, and as best a human can do it, would be all of the rest known Mississippi fiddle tunes. Right. In the process of tracking all these down, I've come across dozens of titles where we will never know what the tune was, which just hurts my heart. Um, Newspaper accounts of fiddle contests where there are no recordings and such. Yeah. Um, Family documents, uh, uh, a book where it just mentions the repertoire, various WPA documents, and so on. Dozens and dozens of titles. and this really distressed me, and I was talking to my friend Pat Conti, um, a monster musician and scholar of old-timey and blues and world ethnic music. And he's been one of my inspirations from the very beginning of my playing. He's about my age, maybe a year younger, but he's always had such a singular point of view that it's, it's affected the course of all my playing, mm. even though we haven't actually played that many tunes together over the decades. I spent a lot of time with him. Um, anyway, uh, we wound up challenging each other to compose the tunes to fit these titles from the 30s, trying as best we could to make them sound in the Mississippi dialect. Yeah. Now I'm a revival musician myself, and you know I want these tunes played by my friends. So there's a bit of my own history yeah. and background because it's inescapable. Conti, I'm not so sure that's true. He sounds mm. like he was born a long time ago. <laughs> um, so. Uh, We'd have two chunks of tunes, one he wrote and one that I wrote. I think he did 30 and I did about 26. And we have been busy uh, making the original 1930s field recordings, scratchy, awful, terrible sound. The ones, the recordings that never happened, but we're making them happen. Yeah. Um, And then uh, with fine contemporary musicians like yourself, I've been recording the 26 that I did. Um, in festival conditions, in backyards, in people's houses, portable recording equipment, and honoring the spirit of Lomax and the, yeah. the, the field recorders of the 30s. Um, if you hear crowd noises, fine, birds, airplanes, I'm just not worrying about that. Um, it's all about the tunes, as yeah. it was then. So, uh, it'll be a two CD set. I'm shooting for 
Clifftop release next year, which would be 2019. We'll see if I make it. I have to actually herd the cats to get all of the various people, large yeah. number of people I want on board, actually aboard and get them recorded. But I think it'll happen by sometime. Uh, I'm shooting for a release date then. Yeah. Uh, the project will be a two CD set, one CD of the <laughs> laughably called original field recordings. Yes. Yeah. Um, which some people will file instantly in their difficult listening folder. Yeah. And other people will never leave <laughs> and enjoy. The iTunes quarantine. I'm looking, I'm really looking forward to hearing a bit of controversy and, and uh, the fan mail and hate mail <coughs> should be really equally balanced and that should be delightful. I love hate mail. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was a web designer in the 90s and once got a direction from the band of crash their browsers, fuck them up. Yeah. And I actually received fan mail over my design of the website, and the three letters, emails, consisted entirely of profanity. Uh -huh. Yes, I hit the demo and the project spec. <laughs> this is like that. I'm looking forward to some hate mail. Yeah. Hear me, world. Talk to me. Yeah, this is probably going to ruffle some feathers of um, traditional. One of the thing is, it's a, it's a two CD set. One will be modern festival recordings yeah. that we all like and love, except for those of us that don't. Right. Some hate mail on that. <laughs> Yeah. There'll be a minor chord or two. Right. A couple of tunes have them. That's a choice. One could do it without, but I chose to do that. So, hate mail from the Church of 145. Yeah. And uh, the other one will just be delightful or difficult listening, depending upon the person's point of view. And anyway, all of this will be issued with the title of The Completely Lost Mississippi Fiddle Tunes. Because after all, <coughs> all we have are some titles from the 30s. Yeah. And, and yet, I have to say that unlike... I've been writing tunes since I started playing fiddle in the 70s and I've written well over a hundred of them um, something about trying to stick to the dialect thinking about some of the Mississippi bands and trying to write the tune they didn't record yeah and having the titles it's been really grounding and I think I've done better work than I've done more respectful work than I've done in the past interesting <clears throat> and people have been willing to record with me which is really passes some part of the smell test yeah <laughs> um, and put up with me and and so I began to hear them and people have been asking for them so I'm I'm really delighted that it seems to be communicating that's yeah. humbling and really nice this late in my life yeah do you think it's um, this, I guess this maybe would be difficult to do but do you think it's increased your appreciation for Mississippi music more because you've been trying to write <clears throat> in the idiom how high, is this, how high is the sky? Right, right. <laughs> I mean, how are you going to increase something that's already at maximum? I, I yeah. mean, I, the part that, a better way to say that would, or to approach that would be that because I've been doing years of research into it and focused on just Mississippi, Yeah. Um, I'm pained that there's few tunes as there are. This is, this is an answer to that, yeah. that part. Right. And because I've been trying to transcribe originally with Steve and, and now on my own for the second book I got my head deep in the gears of all these tunes yeah. and I'm finding tunes that I never appreciated before would never oh, I'm not going to learn that occasionally one will turn up and go oh that little turn of phrase in measure six just rips me apart Yeah. and that's why I got to learn this one and I've yeah. learned a whole bunch of new ones because getting down under the hood so to speak Yeah. Um, I, I, I've really begun to appreciate some of that quirky Insight. I don't know if I'd call it wisdom, but the insight, insight, <laughs> point of view, uh, cussedness, whatever. A accidental wisdom. Well, you know, we all have fairly standard musical skills these days. Yeah. You're extremely well trained. Um, it's a delight to play with you. If I throw anything predictable at you, you're in great shape. But curveballs. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you see, you enjoy swatting them down. Yeah. But the nature of the kind of music that I'm, I'm most passionate about is primitive. The people that made it up were not schooled. They were good musicians. Yes. And none of this is derogatory. I'm trying to be descriptive here. Right, right. They were farmers. They didn't have access to musical education, in many cases, much other education. And so they just made up stuff, which maps the human brain. And some of the stuff in Mississippi is pretty, pretty quirky. Yeah. And inventive, creative yeah. in a way that, and fertile that um, is, I find breathtaking. So my appreciation has increased by doing the transcription more than anything else really confronting it not letting myself slide and play my usual turnaround but like oh my god how do you do what he just did yeah. um, and doing hundreds of these things and I think that's helped to tune composition because I have a, a much increased appreciation of the little dark corners that you that 
I mean, these tunes are all basically 145. They're all in the scale, rarely with any accidentals. You use the same bowing technique. You've got a pretty constrained toolkit. Yeah. How do you make it interesting? Right. And it's in the corners. There'll be one little hook. Yeah. And I used to try to write tunes that were all hooks, and I mean, nobody wants to listen to that. <laughs> it does, that's not the way the human mind works. So by trial and error for decades, and by getting my head down in the gears of these Mississippi tunes, I, I have a much finer sense of, of what somebody else might be willing to tolerate hearing. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I, I can make up all kinds of stuff that I, I'm really, you know, all excited about my ego, and then I listen to it an hour later going, Nobody's going. To, no one's going to touch that. That's yeah. <laughs> well, there's words for that. We'll yeah. Pass on it. <laughs> so that's that's sort of the process. And I guess I should point out that I shared these with my friend Conti, who, hearing what he was coming up with, coming back at me, was exciting. Yeah. And, and have a partner on something that's ultimately for me a solo done yeah. in the in the weird quiet corners of my brain at times that I don't get to control really yeah um, they, it's one level it's work it's work it's rework another level it's inspiration and for the first time I, I, I've written tunes for years but it's like one would come to me and then randomly another would come to me this one I had a, a finite project and then because there's this kind of competition with Conti because there's a finite number of titles and there's a smaller number of them that have cool titles. Yeah. Some are rather prosaic. And of course, you want your fine tune to have a great title. Yeah. So we got in this race for the titles, yeah. <laughs> which uh, was actually very productive for both of us. And it was, it was as frustrating when you lose a good title, but it was a nice push. So that for a while, I had a stretch where I was writing a tune or tune and a half a day. I might radically revise it the next day, but I got on this roll that I've never been on before. And it's all focused very much about Mississippi and this, this sub-dialect of Southern fiddling. And when it, the project's out, people can decide whether I hit the target or not. But, yeah. but just trying to focus on it was really productive. A little competition and a lot of joy. So we both worked on it and we competed for it. And uh, I'm looking forward to the liner notes that Conti is gonna write. Because yeah. it's going to be fake lore of the best quality. <laughs> I think he's more excited about that than the tunes. Right. Um, um, so it should, we, yeah, it should be a fun project. It's like you're um, like a fantasy novelist or something. Yeah, <laughs> like recreate Tolkien. history. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there is that. I mean, God help World us building. if we'd had a Presto disc recorder to record this with. <laughs> so, so homage to my friend Pat Conti. Um, Cane Break Rattlers is his string band. The Otis Brothers is his early blues band that uh, is defunct now. Um, search out his recordings. It'll be hard, but search him out. I still Great don't stuff. think I met him. He's, uh, he's here. Um, oh, really? Yeah. We'll talk about that next. Great. You and I off, off mic. Yeah, great. Um, shall we play another tune? Yeah, let me get to C. Off to C once more. Once more. So, this... So this next tune is called Flirting with the Men, original 1930s title. Yeah. I <laughs> love that title. Uh, Cameron and I recorded this for this new project with Jane Rothfield and Alan Carr, as we did one of the other tunes we're going to do. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, there's a large cast of characters, and characters is the right word for my friends who've agreed to do this with me. Um, and I'll mention that as we get to some of the other tunes, but... One of the more recent ones I got when, when I was in Mississippi, I got Jack McGee and Shelly mm. to do a tune with me. Uh, Ken Bloom, of course, is on some. Uh, I haven't gotten Brian in yet, but I will somewhere. And Joel Winterstrom's going to be on it. Um, Chris Dalinar and uh, Andy McLeod are on one. We're, actually, we're going to touch one up today here. Wonderful. Uh, in the field, Nathan Bontrager, Pat Conti, Tony and Margie Soom. Howard Raines, Trish Spencer. Oh, great. Jake Blunt, Bradley Clodner, Rachel Eddy's on a bunch. Roger Netherton's These on a good killer names. one. These are good that last one. <laughs> you know, old-timey music is one of those great things in this life. I'm 63, and you know, I'm recording with people under half my age. And we got things to talk about and something to do together. Yeah. And uh, I'm going, like, driving to Washington, hanging out with people I've barely met. 
yeah. crashing over for the night. I mean, I feel like a teenager. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's delightful. Uh, <laughs> it's great. Uh, it's such a, a sweet spot in your life to be able to do this and yeah. have newfound friends and acquaintances. That uh, it's just it's just a joy, and I've been honored and and humbled and delighted that people I ask and they go, oh yeah, like of course. It's, doesn't seem of course to me, but it's yeah. uh, it's a treat. Anyway, um, so what are we playing? Flirting with the men. One, two, one, two. So is he, is Pat deciding all of the, like, you guys haven't decided any of the names of the source fiddle or any of the lore yet, right? Or like... We've, uh, Pat had some working titles which amused him greatly and you'll never hear. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and we've reconsidered and made up some. Yeah. Um, and we're in the process of figuring out which tunes which of those fiddlers did so yes. that we can EQ them and record them in a way that sounds yeah. distinct from the other because it's a different room. Yeah. And same equipment, probably. Um, different sonic environment. And one of the things Conti does that's infuriating <laughs> and brilliant is that he tunes down and then he changes the speed of the recording. Yeah. <laughs> so you have you have no idea what key it's in for the fingering, and he's forgotten. Yeah. So the archaeology to learn one of his tunes is really annoying. Yeah. But worth it. They're yeah. really dense in the same way the old recordings are, and he's what a the way his mind works 
makes my head hurt. <laughs> but it's brilliant. Yeah. And he's a very different person. And I've, I'm really glad I've gotten to know him. Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 re, it's helped shape me in the way I see the world. And I'm so glad I don't have to live in between those two ears. My own are too <laughs> are difficult enough. Um, yeah, um, yeah. He's got a, he's got a process, boy. Have you ever found? Um, have you ever started one of these tunes, a completely lost tune, and then actually found it? Has that ever happened? No. No. Every time I say this, it turns out I'm wrong, and I know it's arrogant. <laughs> But I don't know how to respond to the question without saying, oh, I think I know where they all are, and I've heard them all. Right. If anyone well, would. An Indian Skanoi tune just tuned up, turned up uh, a couple oh, months ago from a 1947 shellac that there's one copy of. Wow. A great version of Arkansas Traveler. I didn't see that one coming. Yeah. So every now and then something comes up. Right. I'm hot on the trail of some unissued uh, Jabe Dylan sides that, I, that may just be duplicates of what got issued but there's four possibilities that I have no idea what they could be and it could be anything yeah so not yet yeah the more prosaic answer is I'm making up at least my tunes and making up tunes is kind of a collage art yeah it's not like you create something startling original because if you actually do that no one can play it right I mean we all hear it's a dialect. It's, a, it's, it's really collage, putting together some bits and pieces where pieces are familiar. Sure. The thing I really work hard at and occasionally fail at is to make sure that I don't reuse my own bits. Right. Um, there's two tunes that I, I kind of start them the same way, and I'm not happy with it, but they're, they're each good, so I'm stuck with it. Yeah. Um, and uh, there will be a couple of tunes with the same title but radically different tunes. Yes. Because Pat and I were competing and we didn't keep tra good track of what we were doing. At least I think that's how it's going to work out. Let's right. see. Hold your breath, folks. You'll, you'll work the lore around that one as well. <laughs> it's a really <laughs> wacky project um, with a lot of joy in it. But, yeah. uh, and it, it tracks through the various obsessions we have of making up tunes, doing the research, lusting after lost information, yeah. wondering what happened. Um, and using what we know to tell a story, so it's, it's this is our story for next year. Yeah, I love that it's the. Uh, it, you could read it as like you do a project, and now you're sort of doing a parody of the project that you just did. Homage, please. Yeah, but when you actually look at it, it's uh, you're sort of doing a natural extension of like we you have all this extra. We care so deeply yeah. about this music. Um, it's not a satire. I mean, it's a little tongue-in-cheek about the process sure. of collecting and folklore and the things we take seriously. Yeah. But at heart, um, I'm actually humbled to try to, yeah. and intimidated by the titles, trying to fill those shoes. And I found it really helpful for keeping the ego at bay. I mean, yeah. I got an ego. I wouldn't be doing this otherwise. Yeah. You don't make up tunes without an ego. But my little bit is way less important to me than it used to be by mm -hmm. orders of magnitude. And I played these I played these tunes for, for my wife as I was making them up, and I watched them. She she got to do the smell test. Yeah. If she didn't go, that's great. Just unreservedly, it's like, oh, the A part's nice, but yeah. Then I'd probably just can the B part and start over. Yeah. I I was way more concerned way more concerned with how well does this make a coherent thought speak and communicate sure. than oh I've come up with a new toy right and that that bit of preciousness of I've got a new toy everybody knows what that smells like yeah <laughs> we've all been to, to open mic nights yeah yeah where the aroma is uh, intense yeah and this is more like well what did the guys do in the 30s when they were just you know playing music for their family and stuff came up yeah I mean there was no forum there was no idea oh I made up a tune everybody's gonna love me I mean most time you just didn't admit to it um, it was I think it at least in my mind it's I made up something it works not it's cool but it works yeah and I've been really gratified that people have wanted to learn these tunes, you know, independent of me asking them to record it. And that, that goes, oh, maybe I'm finally beginning to speak the right dialect. Right. I feel like I've been speaking Martian for decades. Well, I really, I really appreciate how you, um, some people have a dichotomy of like, some people are traditionalists and other people are like progressive. And uh, maybe, maybe you're using, yeah, it sounds like you're using the same parts of your brain. 
like to to um same parts of my heart yeah um one of the things i'm finding out with my research in the mississippi is they made it up yeah there are very few and, and i'm overstating that and I, of course i am i mean human ego and all that but more than i'm aware of elsewhere the repertoire from Mississippi, yeah, you hear a couple of bars here and there that sound reminiscent, but there are very few tunes with that title and that tune, yeah. as you expected, in Mississippi. They all got bent at best, and there's not even that many of those. A lot of them just seem, where did this come from? Yeah. Um, which speaks to the creative process. Yeah. But, and in a few cases, I know from the families, like, oh, he wrote this, and they were proud of him. That doesn't even buy you a hamburger in Mississippi in the day. Yeah. So it's not like being a rock star. It's just like, well, he did it. Yeah. And I think I'm getting closer to that. I mean, I grew up, you know, in this in the '60s and '70s where you had rock stars, and I wanted to do record covers. And there's like fame and ego kind of yeah. pop culture notoriety or some kind. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Yeah, those all sound good. Um, this is not that. The, what we do is community, and yeah, if you have a good idea, you, you know, you have a nice conversation with someone. That's yeah. a good idea. You know, I wrote a tune. Okay, you like it? We'll play it. If you don't, well, it's gone. Yeah. There's a util, sort of utilitarian kind of function to it, even though the music has no function these days, other right. than to amuse ourselves. But it, it feels like I'm continuing the conversation that I'm very aware was live and active in the 20s and 30s in Mississippi with all these tunes that were distinct to these people. I feel like I'm just part of that. Yeah. This is part of that conversation as opposed to, oh, I'm going to be a rock star kind of ego-driven thing. I just want to be part of the community and this is something I actually just kind of do. It's not a goal. It just yeah. comes up. Um, I mean, it's not going to go anywhere. You know, it's not. It's another way to lose some money. I mean, you know, yeah. <laughs> and lose a few friends, uh, and make a few, uh, and that's about all it comes to. And and that yeah. seems to be as close as a college-educated professional in the North, though born in Mississippi, is going to get to those. It's it's close to the connection as I can get. Yeah, and. And I like the idea of being part of a living tradition as opposed to a scholar of a dead one. Yeah. I spent all this time learning to speak Mississippi as best I can. Yeah. And I want to have something to say and not just repeat the conversations right. that have happened right. before. Right. So this is my attempt to do that. And, long, and I've been talking to my friend Conti and now we're going to try to get it out a little further in the world and see if anybody likes the conversation. Yeah. Because that's about all it comes to at the end of the day. Yeah. Perfect. C2 number two. Whoa, whoa, I this one's one of Pat's. Yeah. The title, of course, from the 30s is called Syrup Pudding. And I, when I was out, and we drove out, Pat and my wife and I drove out to Colorado just to go see the Rockies as a sort of a vacation, six days of driving. Um, and we stopped in Kansas, and so Howard Raines and Trish Spencer, our friends, and recorded this tune with them. Yeah. Um, Syrup Pudding, one of Pat's long lost Mississippi fiddle tunes. You have no idea how long. Pat and I had to sit listening to our recording of Just Scratches, here through the dim mist of time to find these tunes. <laughs> one, two, one, two.
I was at an earlier festival this season up at Black Creek near um, Albany, and Conti was there, and my co-author Steve Austin, and a few other people were in a jam. Conti was playing guitar, and um, I pulled that tune out. I didn't announce it; I just played it, yeah. and he's enjoying it. You know, he's in there playing. We're all <laughs> smiling, and then at the end, I told him, you know, he, you know, what was that? Oh, well, that was the tune you made up. Yeah. He'd totally not recognized it, totally forgotten he'd done it, and it looked like I just hit him with a two-by-four, his eyes, but, but it was great. It was like, that was so wonderful. Because he just, he doesn't go back. He makes yeah. them up, records it, makes it sound old, next. Um, it's just, it, with him, it's just inspiration, and, and I, I try to remember my tunes, but I'm different. I saw him that was uh, a sweet moment. I saw my friend Melissa do that to Jane once, <laughs> and she was like, "Oh, really?" <laughs> she she was like learning it back from her. You know? Yeah, that's such it's, a sweet moment. Uh, yeah. Well, like I said, it's a, the the point of this is you're having a conversation with yeah. the community, and sometimes they talk to you. Sometimes they say rude things. Sometimes they say very <laughs> loving things. It's, uh, but that would God, that was worth it. Just watching his expression, that was a hoot. That was really dear. Uh, so the next tune is called Susan Jones, which, as I said, some of these titles are rather prosaic. They don't really give you a whole lot of, uh, well, this is not a title we were fighting over, shall yeah. I say. But then you got to start wondering about who this person was and why a fiddler would write a tune about her. Yeah. Because, of course, in this mental scenario, I'm not right making up the tune. This is one that happened back then. So who was Susan Jones, yeah. you know? Why was, was she, she so inspiring? Was to she make a the team? the the lady in the white dress that you left as you went off to the Civil War, right? With your heart all aflame, heart. Well, yeah. Um, or is she the girl that went to all the square dances and killed the whiskey with you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not answering that yeah. one. <laughs> so Susan Jones is a rather prosaic title, which we actually weren't competing for. And, and there were some that we really wanted to get to. Um, and then there was the one we were both avoiding, which I finally wrote, and it will be today's bonus track. Yeah. Uh, a tune called Cotton Chopping Dick. That's enough said about it. Let's, let's play Susan Jones. Yeah. <laughs> one, two, one, two. that tune we both flirted a little bit with the harmony line and 
That's not something you actually hear that much of, particularly in the old days on 78s. Yeah. However, in Leake County, Mississippi, yeah. the Leake County Revelers played harmony. The Leake County String Band, a band that was formed or reformed in 69 and lasted well into the 90s, almost always had double fiddling. And uh, Freeney's Barn Dance Band also had some double fiddling with harmony lines, simple harmony lines, but harmony lines. So, as a personal challenge for this project, I wrote out harmony lines for almost every tune. Yeah. And in some cases, actually recorded them or played with people who would do it naturally. Yeah. Um, so, to those people who will listen to the project and will be offended that I'm not being true to the sources. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my sources, my inspiration, I'm going with Leak County here. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, people, people play, made music, they've always made music. There was that peculiar thing about um, one, four, five, you know, yes. and how old-timey music only plays one, four, five chords, or bass lines that might suggest the other chords but don't actually state them. Yeah. Because old-timey guitar players are often just playing bass lines, really. Um, and there's truth to that. Uh, a friend of mine, a scholar, pointed out that not only was it true for old-timey music, but it's true for the other vernacular forms of the day. Before the Civil War, full panoply of chords. These days, full panoply of chords, possibly. So other tra other traditions of music, uh, other vernacular pop forms, uh, gospel, uh, Tin Pan Alley, whatever. Um, it wasn't just old-timey music. Some, for reasons that aren't documented, after the Civil War, people just didn't want to hear minor chords in a lot of musics. Huh. It's not just old-timey, which would be really weird. This yeah. one little subgenre just decided to ignore it for most right. of its formative, documented period. And I find that kind of easier to take. Yeah. You know, it's, it was like disco. It took over the, the world for a while, and people thought that way. And then you can choose that that's the defining form of old-time music, and I think that's actually got a lot of truth to it. Yeah. And certainly ignore it at your risk or, or consciously ignore it at only at certain times but it's part of the tradition but it's helpful to realize it wasn't just oh, old-timey music's weird yeah um so yeah that's interesting i never heard that before yeah i uh, i was reassured to hear that because it made more sense than this weird puzzle of why old-timey music only doesn't have any minor chords and occasionally you get like in a key of g you'll get somebody Fashion uh, an E major chord, yeah. so you have the you have a G against a G sharp, and you go. It's like people aren't that fond of pain. <laughs> what they what they actually did on the 78s was they would play an E major chord, but you'd barely hear this ghosting of that that major third. Yeah, but these days people get emphatic about it, and it's just like a train wreck. <laughs> and you know you can enjoy that. I mean, you know, there's modern musics that would like that interval, and yeah. you know, that's it's just a value choice. I'm not voting actually about that. <laughs> not my taste. I'd rather go with a minor chord and have it harmonious. But you know, you lose tension when you do that, and there's sure. you pay a price for your choices, all yeah. of them. Yeah. Where were we? What were we doing? Well, this is the we're going to do the last tune of the official interview. Um, oh no! I'll have to stop breathing after that. Right. <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> There'll be many more off mic. Uh, what are we playing? Oh, we're playing um, 1812. Sorry, 1817. Let me get my right the right dates. 1817 is this year that the state of Mississippi uh, was founded. And I sort of cheated because it's a date. It's not a, lit, a title I found in the list. Um, guilty. Shoot me. <laughs> I, I will say I played it for the centennial cele bicentennial celebration. Uh, of the state uh, at the Yam Taters Festival last year. That's part of my set. More details on where to find uh, the upcoming project. Oh, uh, it's really simple. MississippiFiddle.com. There you go. Snag or, that URL. Or even better, <laughs> just talk to me at a festival and I'll tell even you better. way more than you possibly want to know. That's a threat. <laughs> dare you to come talk to me about Mississippi <laughs> Fiddle Tunes. Uh, one, two, one, two. <laughs> 
The completely lost Mississippi Fiddle Tunes double album is now available. You can get a digital copy on Harry Bullock's Bandcamp page or order physical CDs from his website, MississippiFiddle.com. I included links in this episode's show notes, which you can read from your device and the accompanying Facebook post. I've been listening to it the last few days, and let me tell you, it's great. Obviously, I love the concept, but I'm totally blown away by its execution. It's so well done. The quote-unquote source recordings are so cool. (laughs) And the modern interpretations are uh, lovely. You gotta hear it. And you will, if you're still listening, because I dropped in a track after this outro. It's the modern festival version of Blackland, featuring former guest of the show, Roger Netherton, and uh, hopefully future guest of the show, Autumn Rose Lesser. So stick around for that, then go buy this great album. Thanks again to Earful of Fiddle Music and Dance Camp for sponsoring this episode. You can register at earfuloffiddle.com. Also, thank you to Elderly Instruments for sharing the show with your customers. You can visit Elderly Instruments online store at elderly.com. If you want to hang out with me twice a week, I have another podcast called Think Outside the Box Set. You can find that wherever you get your podcasts or boxset.website. And if you're in the Northeast, don't forget to RSVP on Facebook to my shows with Jake Blunt in the second half of April. I included links in the show notes. That's all for now, friends. Thanks for listening. Come back same time next week to get up in the cool.